Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Everybody Fits podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Kim. And this week we have Laura Bicker on with us. Hi, Laura. Hi. So Laura is a acupuncturist. I had to slow myself down there, so I said, said it right. And <laughs> um, who specializes in fertility acupuncture, but she's also now a qualified yoga instructor and teaches yoga and um, so Laura do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background mm-hmm, sure I mean first of all I would say I'm not an acupuncturist my kind of official title is a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and that's because we work using both acupuncture and herbs together okay. so it's like the full remit of Chinese medicine um I basically at the age of 18, 19, decided that's what I would do at university when I finished school. I wasn't really sure about what I wanted to do. And then I happened upon all these degrees and it just felt like the right thing for me. And so I went to Middlesex University, which was joined with Beijing and studied traditional Chinese medicine. And then when I graduated and I started seeing patients in my own clinic, I very quickly started seeing patients who wanted to conceive and you know we were trained in general medicine it wasn't specifically fertility and I really knew that I wanted to specialize in something because in my mind you can't be a jack of all trades and I think that's one of the not weaknesses but that can be sometimes an issue when you go to see your GP and maybe they don't necessarily know a lot about one particular area of medicine and then you've got to wait for a referral and so I started seeing all these women who were trying to conceive and they were all falling pregnant pretty quickly and I thought oh hang on a minute I'm quite good at this (laughs) and I felt like I found my niche and so from um 2006 when I'd been in practice for a year I made the decision to specialize and I then did every course I could find I read every book I could find and it just snowballed from there and so I feel like it chose me rather than I chose it um and that's what I've been doing ever since really so there are a lot of people that kind of specialize in in fertility because it's it was something I had never known about, I'd never heard of um, until I was in the position where I needed it. Um, And it was something where I've spoken about it with other people and it's, you never know, did it help? Did it not help? Was it actually the the treatment or was it just the fact that, as you pointed out, I chilled out for once because I can guarantee (laughs) every single session I I fell asleep (laughs) at some point. Um, So... I want to say what's the science behind it is that that would that would be the right phrase yeah I think so I mean not everybody specializes I would expect that everybody who trains will get some level of training around fertility and the way Chinese medicine works is you're not necessarily treating the diagnosis you're treating how the patient presents with their symptoms and how we diagnose is based on collections of signs and symptoms that lead us down certain paths of what we would call syndrome differentiation. So there is a science behind it. And 
it's funny when you say science it makes me think of like well what is science and really science is just observation testing hypotheses and coming up with theories and then seeing if things work and Chinese medicine is massively about observation you know we look at the patient how do they look what's their demeanor you know like do they come in and are they really stressed um you know what's their hair like what's their skin like you take into account every little sign and symptom that you see even what's their voice like how do they breathe how do they smell you know like we look at everything and you know like I want to know the ins and outs of a fart when I talk to you because I want as much information as possible and then I can make a much better diagnosis based on the amount of information I have. Um, and from a kind of classical science point of view, there is a lot of research behind acupuncture and supporting acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. A lot of it isn't um, translated because a lot of it's done in China and Japan and India, but there is a decent bank of research and some of the things we know that acupuncture definitely does, or we've been able to prove through, um, you know, kind of allopathic style research is that it definitely relaxes you because it switches you into your parasympathetic nervous system. So you're from that fight or flight mode, it brings you down. And that's why a lot of people fall asleep because they come in, they've been rushing around, they're up a height, and then they get the needles in and that's it, they just start to relax. And then, you know, that's when your tummy starts to rumble and all of those things happen. So they've been able to show that in research. Um, we also know that it definitely increases blood circulation. And so there's been research that has shown that acupuncture improves what's called the pulsatile index. And that's basically how blood flows through the arteries towards the uterus. And so it really fits in with what we believe in terms of Chinese medicine, because it's all about the flow of energy and the flow of blood in the body. And if those two things are moving properly and you've got what your body needs to create them, then your body has everything it needs to function. So those kind of things back up the two key kind of premises that we have. We also know from research that it actually enhances the immune system. It activates the immune system, it boosts like the cytokine levels, um, and it can help reduce inflammation by working with the immune system. And I always describe it to patients when they ask, you know, like, if you think about when you hurt yourself, if you cut yourself or have a needle stuck in you, the first thing your body does is rush to that area to kind of work out what's going on and heal it. And so what acupuncture is doing is just stimulating your body in a similar way. And then activating the kind of the cascade response that happens. So, you know, there is research to support it can help with prostaglandin levels, which affect a lot of gynae conditions, things like endometriosis. Um, and basically it just helps balance out the body's kind of homeostatic functions, which again then relates to everything, you know, your hormones, how your ovaries, your hypothalamus, your pituitary gland, they all talk to each other. So for all it's not kind of seen as being very scientific by a lot of people in the Western world, there is a lot of science and a lot of research behind that supports what we do. And it's the same with Chinese medicine, you know, um, the herbs that we use 
a lot of people struggle with the idea of herbal medicine, but essentially a lot of pharmaceutical drugs are derivatives of plants and herbs, and they're just, you know, drawing out that one key active ingredient. Um, but there's a lot of research, again, supporting Chinese medicine um, for all sorts of conditions. And often it helps in those areas where Western medicine kind of can't fill the gap, um, the people who kind of fall through the cracks. Um, but I mean, you know, I think it was about 2015, there was a lady who won the Nobel Prize um, for the, her research into a Chinese medical herb and its links to treatment of malaria, you know? So there are amazing, amazing things that are happening with Chinese medicine. It's just maybe we don't get to know about it really. Yeah, that's so interesting. I completely don't have any experience or any idea about anything to do with acupuncture and Chinese medicine and things. So forgive me if some of my questions are quite obvious questions or um, silly questions. But so, I mean, from what you said, would you say that with Western, I mean, with Western medicine, it's kind of almost like the premise is you come in with one thing and then there's there's always one cure quote-unquote cure or one way to deal with it whereas with um Chinese medicine and, and the way you work it's not just a one-size one approach to every single thing it's it's looking at as you say all of the symptoms so so would you deal with I suppose everybody on an individual basis based on I, I mean, I suppose that's that's it's quite different in a way to to Western medicine. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mostly, uh, there, there's a saying in Chinese medicine, and it's same disease, different treatment, different disease, same treatment. Right. And it's basically because you're treating what that patient and their individual constitution presents with. So I always give the example of headache. You know, if you think about how a Western doctor might treat headache, it could just be very simple painkillers moving up to stronger painkillers. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. With Chinese medicine, there's seven different types of headache and therefore there's at least seven different types of treatment. And you could have somebody who's having headaches because their chi and their blood are deficient from our point of view. So they might be anemic, you know, and you know, you might encounter somebody who's having very similar symptoms, but actually they're coming to you because they're having palpitations. And those two people potentially could receive exactly the same treatment if their syndrome differentiation is the same. So it's very, very individualized and very bespoke. And it changes as you change, you know, you could come in one week and say, right, I've got a UTI, and, you know, we look at the symptoms, we give you the treatment that's appropriate for that UTI, that clears up. The next week you're here for something else or, you know, you're having treatment because you've got polycystic ovaries and the treatment's going to change as your cycles change and your hormones change. And, you know, once ovulation is established, you're not going to need the same treatment because your body's in a completely different position and your symptoms will change along the way. So we adapt to the body and to what it presents. And so it's always kind of what have you got today what am I looking at what is this current picture that's what I'm treating and I suppose the the, the big difference for that as well is that is the amount of time that you'll get to spend with a patient versus somebody like in the NHS who will have 
10 minutes like a GP has 10 minutes and that's inclusive of writing up the notes and you know and it, I mean typically do you sort of like do like hourly appointments and things with with people so I suppose that's a huge difference it means that you can really and, and I suppose in a way I, I guess that if a GP or if somebody in the NHS did you know any other type of doctor with western take on it potentially they could look at it from a different point of view um it's it's difficult isn't it like yeah to... I agree I think you know western medicine is really restricted by the way it is set up mm. you know and you know the doctors are under a huge amount of pressure within the NHS I there's no way I could do what I do in 10 minutes and get to know patients on the level that I know you know, sometimes I spend an hour talking to them just for their initial consultation. And then I might go, oh, I didn't ask them this. I didn't ask them that. And I've had a whole hour. Mm. And I think that's maybe one of the sad things is that people don't have that relationship anymore with their GPs. So their GPs don't get to know them on that level, because I think that really does help. And a lot of what we do is just support you know being able to ask somebody who does know the answers as well and have the time and space to think because again you know if you're running with your doctor 10 minutes you might come away and think I've thought of a question and I didn't get to ask it you know that feeling of being under pressure but I think you know we really fill in the gaps I see a lot of patients who are on the run-up to doing something like IVF and you know we get them pregnant naturally and so there's things that we can do that maybe western medicine can't do or we complement what they do yeah mm. and, and all for working together <laughs> it's hard as, as well i suppose for nhs because they are so um like strict they've got ticky boxes I've, mm. I've spoken to docs, doctors and counsellors and they've literally got to go down a specific list of questions mm. and it's it's like for some of them they've got to go through almost a flow chart to well they've got this symptom so we'll try this okay that didn't work so we'll try this whereas if you've got a list of symptoms all working and, and you can look at the overall and you have time to think about it it gives you a lot more opportunity to diagnose so yes. how long was it sort of that you were dealing with general issues to going down the fertility issue route because I know you said you recognize quite quickly but what other sort of general issues did you deal with everything and anything I never knew what was going to work walk through the door so I graduated in 2005 and I did a year of kind of general practice and then specialized and even now I still see the odd thing because what happens is I'll treat a patient and then I'll get an email saying my husband's got this you know even years down the line I had one recently and I helped her with her daughter 14 years ago and I've just had the email going any chance you can help my husband with this, you know? So you do end up treating random different things, you know, aches and pains. Acupuncture is brilliant for treating pain. You know, it, it kind of regulates the center in the brain that's responsible for pain um, sensation. And so I'll always try and help people no matter what, if I can get them in, you know, I'll always give it a go or I'll refer out, but you name it, like, urinary tract infections, frozen shoulders, sciatica, um, 
everything menstrual pain pmdd menopause you name it i can give it a go (laughs) with the um the whole process of acupuncture is it obviously you get people to to lie down and you stick basically just let I'm just gonna and you stick needles in them. But obviously it's more it's more to obviously there's more to it than that. But for someone like me that just hasn't I've only ever seen it on like movies and stuff. So what what's the sort of the process? What happens um generally with, with the client that comes in? So we have a chat, we get through all the medical history and um, you know, get to the point where we're ready to do a treatment and then get them to lie down on the couch nice and comfortable um you know it depends on what we're treating as to what level of undress they need to do generally i can work around clothing um so it's you know it's not that often that patients need to undress um and then i will put points across the body every practitioner is different there are different styles of acupuncture as well because china wasn't the only place that came up with acupuncture you know, Japan has their own styles. And because it was developed as like a barefoot medicine in China, there was lots of different styles that developed. Traditional Chinese medicine is like the standardized form that was developed so it could be taught in a standard form through universities and that kind of thing. So you'll find lots of different styles and everybody will do their own thing. Um, But generally I start at the head and then I work my way down the body, selecting points that correspond to the symptoms, to the condition, to the organs that I feel are involved that I want to support. And so we have the meridians, which are like the pathways that run through the body that connect the points to the organs. And so you might select points that link to, for example, the liver. The liver is in fertility medicine, you know, really important for ovulation but it's also really good for relaxing you when we're stressed and tense it's the liver energy that becomes stagnant so for example if somebody is really frustrated and they've kind of pent up all their anger and aggression or frustration then what can happen is they can then have emotional outbursts so think pmt when you're feeling really touchy you might get headaches you might feel like it's that kind of your head's in a vice you might get reflux so depending on those kinds of things will change what point perhaps on the meridian of the liver I would select. But the points don't necessarily correspond to where they are in the body as to what you're treating. So the points can seem quite random sometimes. And that's why we end up generally treating across the body. Um, And again, depends who's doing it as to how many needles they use and the style they use. But I follow that kind of that vein of thought of there's so many different styles because outside of acupuncture now you've started doing yoga as as a as a secondary career because you know having (laughs) having your own business once not not you know busy enough lifestyle and I know you've got two young children (laughs) yourself so just managing everything all at once so I don't want to say what came first, the chicken or the egg, but uh, the yoga or the acupuncture? (laughs) Actually, yoga came first, bizarrely. Um, You know, I can remember being given a book. I think it was from my mum. You know how you get these like Usborne guides to when you're a kid, horses or whatever. I remember getting one and it was yoga. And I used to just mess about in my bedroom doing bits of yoga. And I always wanted to go to yoga classes. But when I was younger, 
I think it was still seen as being quite culty. And my dad was like, no, you can't go to yoga. And then as I got, got maybe into my like late teens, I used to go to like yoga classes at a church with the, all the old ladies and things like that. And then there was a yoga society at my university and I joined that. And so it's always been there on some level. Um, and then it just got to the point I'd wanted to do my teacher training for years, but I felt like I couldn't do it because I didn't want to be a teacher. Like that wasn't the purpose. And then it got to the point and I just thought, you know what? This could be like the most self-indulgent yoga retreat I'm ever going to do. And I just did it. And I absolutely loved it and had zero intention of teaching when I did it. I just wanted to do it for me. And then kind of the bug gets you, you know, and you'll know from what you guys do, you know, you love it. You want to share it. You want to share the kind of magic of what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many different styles of yoga, isn't there? Because I I had absolutely no idea that there were different types of yoga until I had a conversation with you telling you how much I hate yoga and I can't I can't do it and I can't stand it. And it's great that anyone else wants to do it, but it just stresses me out. So what what are the differences in the in the different styles and what what's your style, I suppose? Oh, there's just so many styles of yoga. I mean, I came across one just the other weekend I've never heard of. Um, the kind of the very typical ones that you'll hear quite a lot are like vinyasa flow. So that's quite a fast paced flowy yoga. Um, it's good for kind of getting the heat going in the body. And I would say yoga is like anything. You've just got to try the different types and maybe find the one that suits you. Um You've got like yin yoga, which is really slow and you hold the poses for quite a long time. Ayenga, Ashtanga, they're both quite vigorous, but very um, specific in terms of how the body is positioned. And some of them have very set rigid routines. You know, you have to go through these stages or it might even be that you always do a similar set of poses. So the kind of yoga I do is called forest yoga. Um, and it's named after a lady called Anna Forrest, who is an American lady who developed this system of yoga. And for me, it was just the yoga that I loved. Um, I have a friend called Jambo Churong, who is a yoga teacher who he actually travels the world teaching, training. And I met him not long after I'd graduated university. I was working part-time in Lush as I was setting up my business. And the, the lady who managed Lush at the time, she went, you two need to talk. You two will like get on. And we did. And from that point on, we were friends. And then I remember one day I was having dinner with him and he said, you need to come to my yoga classes. And I was like, okay. And that was it. I was hooked on forest yoga from the start, you know, the way it's structured for me, I love the breath work. I love the deep abdominal work. And the way it's sequenced is really smart. So Anna had realized when she was, she'd already trained in different types of yoga and she was really into her yoga. But she also trained and looked after horses. And she realized that certain styles of yoga or certain methods didn't make sense from like a biomechanical point of view you know if she was trying to rehabilitate a horse she would do it in a certain way yet sometimes when you do yoga it doesn't make sense 
in terms of what you're trying to achieve in the body in terms of like the route you get to and so that's what she tried to do with forest yoga was kind of build the structure build the sequences so that it makes sense in terms of what you're trying to achieve so for example I always give this one when we do back bends in a class we'll always finish with abdominals because you want to then kind of activate both sides of the body again you don't want to kind of open up the body and then leave somebody in this really open unbalanced position and now if I go to a yoga class and we do like back bends I'm like I need to do some abs this doesn't feel right I don't my back won't be happy if I don't do it um and we relax the neck, which people think is so bizarre. You know, you'll be in a pose and I'm like, just, just let your neck go. Don't look at the ceiling. Don't worry about what your hand's doing. And that's to try and train people out of holding all that tension in the neck. You know, that typical compensation pattern that we have of like all the stress comes in the neck and shoulders. Mm-hmm. And if you can disengage the neck, then you can actually help the diaphragm relax and you can help people breathe more deeply. So she's been really, really smart about how she's kind of developed the system but also it's a living system so it's forever changing forever adapting the more we learn the more we can bring in the kind of energetics the biomechanics but it's also got this really great deep spiritual side to it so if people want to explore that side it's a really good way to start because it's that sense of if you can get out of your head and get in your body you can truly relax and you can truly connect to who you are as a person. And that just makes you so much happier, you know? And how have you found teaching? I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Do you get, I imagine that you do, but do you get clients of different ages and abilities? And how do you then adapt? Because I am yoga is the kind of thing I think where if you love it you really love it Mm. but it seems to be the kind of thing where everyone is always at a different level every class I've ever tried every I've I've ever been to everyone seems like someone will be doing a backbend that I'm looking at thinking you're a contortionist and then someone else will be struggling to to lean even so as an instructor with a room full of people, how do you manage those different abilities? Because people can, do you do the whole hold in a pause for quite a long time or is yours a little more fast paced? We do hold pauses for a length of time, not as long as something like yin, it might just be five to 10 breaths depending on the length of the class. And that gives you time to make sure that the body's position is correct. Um, you know and to give people chance to actually breathe into and feel what's going on in their body while they're in a pose you know if it's like this downward dog forward fold you can't you haven't got that time to think about well am I in the right position am I relaxing my shoulders that kind of thing and then there's always options you know like I think one of the really important things to remember with yoga is what happens on your mat is where the focus should be like don't be worrying about that girl who's a contortionist Amy (laughs) it's like (laughs) doesn't matter nobody said oh wow you've achieved so much in life because you can do wheel you know like that's it you've made it 
it's not important it's about the journey it's about learning about your body and there's always an option you know for everybody's body we use props a lot so if somebody's in a twisting pose and they can't get their elbow over their thigh or their hand contorted around their back that's totally fine you can put your hand on a block on the floor as long as you're feeling the benefit of that twist and you can feel the muscles that are needing to be worked or stretched and you can breathe and just be in that moment that's the most important thing mm. but it's amazing how much confidence people gain from yoga in that sense because I get people come to class and they'll say right we're going to do an inversion and they're like oh no mm. but an inversion can be a downward dog you know mm. there's always options yeah and I, I imagine as well one of the things which is what I find very difficult uh, that people do find difficult is literally just being like having that time to slow down and and think and be be quiet and a bit bit more mindful mm, I think people struggle with that a lot because often there's a lot of things that are bottled up inside that they're maybe not wanting to address you know and they might just not be ready for that and that's why you know maybe doing a faster paced type of yoga is more important for them at that stage eventually everybody will come to the point where they're ready to meet what's going on in themselves but I think that's why kind of forest yoga resonates with some people because they're ready to get into their body and they enjoy the physicality of it you know like I love feeling that burn when I've done my abs and things and really getting a sweat on and feeling my legs working but I also enjoy the space and time to breathe and to think and also get out of my head because I'm so busy thinking about what my body is doing but when I first came to forest yoga I wasn't doing it for any spiritual side it was the physical side that got me hooked and although my yoga teacher was you know telling me the intent and talking about all these different things I wasn't necessarily taking any of that in and that's that's fine mm -hmm. and if you're dying in shavasana you know like I was that annoying student who was like I've got to go because I've got to go work you know I haven't actually got time to lie here for 10 minutes or you know I never took that 10 minutes because it wasn't a priority in my mind or I would lie in shavasana and I'd stare at the ceiling you know mm -hmm. and my teachers used to tell me off all the time they'd be like shut your eyes Laura you know they'd be mouthing at me shut your bloody eyes mm -hmm. and it's just a process and it's about where you are where now for me I'm in a place where I don't feel like I need to look like some Instagram yogi it doesn't matter if I've got roles I've had two kids and I really love food you know and that's not what yoga is about it's about me having space and time to breathe to down regulate and mm -hmm. it really helps you just like mindfulness having that time to just be there for yourself and it's the community as well yeah the um it, it's quite clear the way the way that you think is very outside the box especially when it comes to obviously you know your interest in your business and the you know the Chinese medicine and and now you know looking at movement in the way that that you do have you always kind of thought outside the box have you always kind of looked at different ways of doing things or 
I don't know Kim because nobody's <laughs> ever said that to me before I'm like maybe you don't know that you think outside the box until somebody says so it's a compliment it definitely <laughs> is a compliment <laughs> I mean I've always been different in that sense you know like my interests have never been with the mainstream in a sense you know like when I was a kid I remember my dad gave me this set of encyclopedias that had been his when he was a kid and they were full of the most weird and wonderful things you know it was like there was an article on acupuncture and that was my first experience of acupuncture and I remember the picture vividly because the guy looked like he was out of Hellraiser like it was the most unrealistic picture of acupuncture looking back that I've ever seen because he just had loads of needles in his head but it would have things like spontaneous human combustion in there and you know it was probably more like the 14 times than anything you know Mm. encyclopedic but yeah I've always just been interested in like nature ritual you know I don't know I've just always been drawn to things like yoga and even when I was trying to decide what I was going to do at university I actually went to the medics conference at Sheffield Hallam because you know I was thinking about doing western medicine and it just didn't sit right with me I was listening to all these doctors lecture and just there was this deep thing inside me going it's not for me just the way I am I guess yeah I I think it's it's amazing I think it's amazing we need more people that don't that that do think outside the box because that's how things change and that's how you know it it, we can help other people in a lot of different ways um right so this is going to sound like a really stupid question and if it is we'll just edit it out (laughs) (laughs) in um in China do they generally practice the obviously the Chinese medicine or is it is it generally the that way or is there a little bit of western or is it a bit of is it is it mixed it's a real mix they probably just call Um, it medicine over there not Chinese (laughs) medicine just medicine yeah I, I can't remember what there was a term that one of the patients used that I saw in China I don't, I don't there is a there is a kind of a recognition of the separation you've got to think about the history of China as well and when I was in China I, m- I made friends with a few people and they would say oh capitalism is amazing and you're like that's not what a western would say but they aspired to be like the west oh, okay So, you know, Western medicine definitely has a place there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the hospitals that I worked in, they were very much integrated. And it was absolutely fascinating because one of the hospitals in Beijing that I spent a few months in was a very old hospital. It didn't look any different probably to the day it was built in like the 1950s. But the structure was just amazing. So each doctor would have like a little consulting room and they had what are called outpatient wards so you don't go to your GP if you had I know a chest infection you would go to the outpatient ward of the hospital that was linked to respiratory medicine and the patients would come in and they would be assessed by the doctor and they would then make a decision based on what the patient had as to whether they would be prescribed herbs whether they needed to go to the acupuncture ward, whether they needed an x-ray, antibiotics, whatever. So it was fully integrated. And 
they even had like little colored notepads so depending on your social status it would depend on what you paid so a white color worker had a white notepad a blue color worker a blue notepad and so there was even you know like a social system where maybe if you were elderly you wouldn't have to pay as much that kind of thing and it just worked beautifully um and they I remember being on the cardiology ward and they were having intravenous herbs for some patients and they you know, done research and found that when they integrated the herbs in that way, they had lower mortality rates, quicker recovery rates, like across the board, everything just looked better. And in the dermatology ward, that totally blew my mind. We followed a girl during consultation. Um, she was there for an acne consultation. And, um, you know, she had a consultation with the doctor, he prescribed her herbs, and then he said, I want you to follow her. And we followed her through the hospital to a separate ward, where she was then given a facial with a herbal face mask. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, this girl's getting a facial in the hospital. It was just unreal, you know? They had a um pharmacy where they made the herbs up for the patients you know so they'd be boiling herbs away patients would go down to the pharmacy and they would pick up bottled herbs or they you know might go get their antibiotics whatever um it was just amazing and i spent time in um a more modern hospital called the china japan friendship hospital and we spent time in the different acupuncture wards there and that felt like a normal western hospital when you were there but then each um, acupuncturist had a ward and they were treating different things and they had different specialities so it was completely integrated um and you know just really clever really that they were open to that it was absolutely amazing oh god can you imagine if that's what our NHS was like it just sat and and is that how was was that obviously when you were studying is it is it sort of stayed like that have you been back since I haven't been back um I mean, I remember one day somebody had said something about they didn't want herbs and we're like thinking, oh my goodness, if the Chinese don't want herbs, how on earth are we going to get our patients to take herbs? Mm -hmm. But what the patient had actually meant was I don't want decocted herbs, I want them in like a tablet form. Um, mm -hmm. But I would assume it's, you know, the research is still ongoing, you know, it's a huge part of their culture and, you know, even to the point where they will make things at home because the knowledge is passed down. So mm -hmm. they know postpartum it's really good to nourish the blood and they have recipes of traditional soups that they'll make to give to a woman postpartum and a lot of their recipes will use little bits of Chinese herbs and things like that so I don't think it'll ever leave the Chinese culture at all and it is slowly getting integrated into our hospitals oh it, is it really yeah, it would be amazing if I think that's one area just generally that that the NHS lack there are so many other forms of treatment, whether that's Chinese medicine or whether that's to do with, you know, nutrition, diet, whether it's to do with mental health, any, there's all different areas, but we are very stuck in this very rigid diagnosis. And if we could start to employ some of these other areas of support I think it would make a huge difference but again I completely understand like doctors go to school for at least seven years to learn what they learn so to then try and 
throw something else at them. I, I think if everything worked internally together and everyone learned a little bit about something else and you could rely on each other for that support I think it's just opening them up to the idea that maybe it's not a set diagnosis and it's not it's not textbook you know we do this in our jobs it's not why can we say it's not one size fits all for everything else in life but when it comes to medicine it tends to be that's the way that it's looked at and so do you think that the because they're both I don't want to say spiritual but that's that's sort of the way that I would view both sides of your career do you think that they also work together I know you managed to get me to do your class at (laughs) one point while I was having my treatment do you think they kind of support each other not necessarily even for the movement aspect of of yoga but the mindset aspect of it definitely I've seen a huge difference in some of my patients who've done yoga with me and I think it's just another opportunity as well to kind of take people into that place of a healthy mindset you know don't get me wrong a lot of what I do is kind of helping people find hope again as well because often what they're told from a western medical point of view is very I can't think of the right word like not rigid but it's just this is how it is and there's no oh by the way you know it could be this or it's not always presented in the most positive way and so sometimes I get people in and we have a chat and it's like well, actually, that's not that bad. And we can fix that. And, you know, if we get you eating these foods, and we get you a bit more relaxed, and, you know, we give you some of these things, then we might be able to get your body where it needs to be. And it's that then presents an opportunity for somebody to find hope again, because Mm -hmm. if the only thing that Western medicine can offer is these couple of drugs or some IVF, that's, that's very limited. But there are a lot of other things that you can do. And so then doing a yoga class where you're taking a bit of time for yourself out of your day just to come back and breathe and really feel into what's going on. And sometimes that's it, you know, just sitting with your emotions as well, allowing your time to feel your emotions. Because I think a lot of the time we're like, I haven't got time for emotions. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. And yoga in itself is just you know it does relax you it works on that parasympathetic it works on the circulation it has a lot of actions that are very similar to acupuncture in a sense so I think in that way it really does complement people and complement the acupuncture treatments and I have seen and, and had feedback from a number of patients where they've said you know you've changed my life in a sense and it's it's lovely and I feel like it's overly dramatic but it it's just been that that combination of things has enabled them to change their mindset get out of that position of feeling stuck in a sense and then see the path ahead yeah I, I, I suppose you know for you it is looking at the bigger picture and I suppose that when when someone comes to you that a getting all this time or b getting someone that's going to properly listen to them to give them you know hope and to give them a you know different 
solutions for maybe different different things and and whereas you know we've already discussed you know you go to GP it's 10 minutes and they only allowed to talk about one thing so it all kind of I guess the treatment you know that you do with regards to to the actual medicine but it's everything else it's looking at the whole you know the whole picture and um knowing that there are so many different ways of of helping people and I suppose it's like what Amy and I do when we when we see clients and they'll you know they'll come with a specific thing or or you know um our friend Ella who's the intuitive eating counselor they'll they'll come and say all right I've got a problem with food but actually it's a pro it's it's a problem with how you perceive your body and you know and, and all it, it's getting to the to the root of it I guess and knowing that okay it might be that one thing that you think it is but actually it might be all of the other things that are surrounding it that we need to look at first um incredibly empowering I think to be able to look at everything in so much detail and have that time with a patient and I, I don't think western medicine is totally unaware of how that can help you know you think about doctors like Dr Rangan Chatterjee who has really tried to make those kinds of changes but if you find somebody who has you know done the level of training that I've done you've got the best of both worlds because you know I can review blood tests I can you know give them that kind of direction in terms of where perhaps they might need to look or investigate from a western medical point of view but I can also then look at them from the Chinese medicine point of view give them a natural holistic approach and then think about the mind and I think it's quite interesting with COVID because that was the first time really that Western medicine really kind of said, hang on, the mental health, the emotional symptoms can actually be a, a product of a physical condition. You know, often the mind and the body have been separated, but you speak to anyone who's had COVID and the majority of them will tell you that they felt depressed for about a week after they had it. Mm -hmm. it's like a classic symptom of covid to the point where you know people are going should i change my job like questioning everything about their life feeling incredibly depressed and then a week later they're back to their normal selves where chinese medicine has always associated that emotional and physical link and, it, and to me it makes complete sense you know if you're anxious you might get palpitations you know there's an emotional physical link with everything we do but I think it's a beautiful way to approach the body. Yeah, you know, it's so, I think within our society, there is such a focus, you know, on the on the body and the health of the body that there's been many, many talks that um, we've had on this podcast that, that there are times where it's, you focus so much on that, that the mental health gets, um, gets forgotten and, it's and it's crazy as you say because it is it's it's seen as two separate things um yeah it's um well we mustn't forget that the study they did on longevity showed that those that lived the longest were the ones who had the most social interaction not the fittest not the most the skinniest or the most active mm -hmm. it's all about human connection and happiness yeah yeah definitely i just i I was about to say, 
thank you for, for coming on and chatting to us. But I, I think that's possibly the best line to end an episode on because that is what it's all about 100% human connection and we spend so much time trying to change ourselves and fix ourselves and look a certain way or please other people when really we need to focus on the people that are already around us and doing things that make us happy Mm, definitely thank you so much Laura it's been absolutely welcome and I, I think you've You've taught us a lot in a very short space of time. (laughs) Thanks for speaking to us and hopefully we'll speak to you soon.